This is episode 43 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Tracy Richardson. I think it's so important for people to tap into their creativity. I I think that's one thing that I I think we all have a creative need um, and people express it in different ways. So musicians sometimes express it by performing um, or by writing. Um, People express creativity through uh, making up recipes, cooking, sewing, um, woodworking, you know, all kinds of things. And it's, it's a human need, I feel, for people to be creative. And I think, um, you know, I just want to keep tapping into that, into my own creativity. Um, and that way I want to keep writing songs. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. In today's episode, we have my conversation with Tracy Richardson, who is the author of the recently released book, Who Moved My Cape? Letting Go of Your Superwoman Expectations, which has an accompanying CD. You can find those on her website, which will be linked in the show notes. So please check those out. In this conversation, we talk about Tracy's process for writing the book, as well as her personal and clinical songwriting process. And honestly, I'm feeling really inspired to use more songwriting in my sessions after this conversation, and hopefully you will get some helpful advice as well for using songwriting in your clinical setting. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. That really helps the show be more visible to people looking for this kind of content. I mentioned in this episode an email I recently received from a listener who was looking for a musical career path, found the podcast, and that helped shape his decision to study music therapy. So please, please consider leaving us a review. At the end of this episode, I'm actually going to read a Facebook review from the Music Therapy Chronicles page on Facebook, which if you haven't already, please check that out and join our group. I have some exciting ideas for things to happen for a celebration for our 50th episode. So please join the group so you will be up to date on what's coming in the future and share your own insights and thoughts from the episodes. I would love to have deeper conversations about what you learned, your own thoughts on conversations that we've had and topics that we've discussed and to create more of a dialogue. So please Feel free, reach out um, on Facebook or other social media if you'd like. And of course, if you or someone you know wants to be on the show, please send an email to feedback 
at musictherapychronicles.com. So lastly, before we get into this episode, I want to thank everyone who went over to patreon.com and became a patron for the month of February. Those donations are going to be sent to the Australian Red Cross to assist with their disaster relief efforts. And I am so grateful to be a part of that donation and glad that we've created such a wonderful community that is looking to make a difference. So thanks for tuning into this episode. And without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Tracy. Tracy, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty swell. It's a nice sunny day here in New Hampshire. We don't get those much this time of year. <laughs> right. Well, a sunny day here in Indiana, too. Good. I'm glad to hear that. So to start us off, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I've been a music therapist since 1988, um, I've practiced mostly in mental health and um, uh, with people with illnesses and uh, like in hospital environment, people with on, on an oncology unit. Um, and for the last 25 years, I've taught uh, at St. Mary of the Woods College and um, just recently became a dean of our graduate therapy and counseling programs there at the college. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I've been a music therapist a long time, um, and I have a master's and a PhD in counseling as well. Why did you decide to do counseling for your master's and PhD? Well, long story short is that when I was looking at master's programs, when it was time for me to get a master's, um, I had a good job. I didn't want to leave it to go back to graduate school. And at that time, um, there were very, very few choices for getting uh, a distance uh, master's program. So um, actually, that helped shape uh, why we started at St. Mary of the Woods College. We started a, a distance program um, as a master's program in music therapy, uh, partly because I had such a hard time finding a program for myself. Um, and I do love counseling. I always have. I've felt like it's uh, a great compliment to music therapy. Um, it's there were very related fields and have some of the same skill sets. Um, so I felt like, you know, that was a good choice for me, but it also helped my own masters in counseling and my own experience in looking for a music therapy program that, um, was online or hybrid that helped shape, um, the program that we developed at St. Mary of the Woods. Yeah. And how wonderful that you were able to create something that didn't exist out of a need you had. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. And we there are actually counseling courses in our music therapy master's program, again, because I feel like it's such a good fit with what we do. Yeah. So what are some of the specific counseling aspects that you incorporate into your program? Um, we have three courses, uh, Theories and Techniques of Counseling. Um, and then we have a uh, psychopathology course and a group dynamics course. So all of those are part of the core of our music therapy master's program um, because all of those skills, you know, understanding theories that are related to music therapy theories, um, some of those informed 
the music therapy theories that uh, have developed. And those basic techniques, you know, the listening, active listening skills um, are very important as a music therapist. We have to be um, comfortable with silence. We have to know how to, um, uh, you know, things like reflecting back to a client what they've, paraphrasing just what they've said. And, and then we take it a step further, of course, in the music. We try to do that in the music, which is a wonderful thing that, that counselors don't get trained in, in how to do. Um, but knowing how to do that verbally, I think, is important, too. Yeah. Yeah, I could see definitely how beneficial those would be in um, a music therapy career specifically. So mm -hmm. since you have this interest in um, psychology and you decided to go back to school for counseling, what made you initially, initial, initially, there we go, I can talk, <laughs> initially decide to study music therapy in undergrad? Well, I really had no idea about music therapy uh, when I went to college. I just knew that I wanted to be a musician. Um, I've been a singer-songwriter all my life, um, I mean, since I can remember. And um, I really just wanted a music program. Uh, but, you know, I got to college and there were no classes called Becoming a Star 101. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I started studying music. I studied drama a little bit um, and realized that that was something I was interested in, the drama part, but that I just really didn't want a, de a, a degree or a career in that. Um, but in the course of being a college student, I also was playing in a band, you know, uh, playing in the weekends uh, in bars, playing my keyboard, making money. And um, one of my friends who was in that band um, volunteered with children in an, at an elementary school. And he would go in, take his guitar, and play for these kids that had special needs. And he said to me, you really need to come and see what happens with these kids. And of course, it was amazing. And I was blown away and went back to my advisor. And I said, there has to be a profession where I can do this. And she said, oh, she's a nun. Um, and she said, uh, she said, oh, yes, yes, there is a profession in that. And we're starting a program. It's called music therapy. So I was able to sort of get in on the ground floor of our program there at the college. <laughs> That's so amazing how life kind of lines those things up for you that way. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. If I had gone to, you know, some other schools that I was looking at, I would have never discovered music therapy because they didn't have programs and they never did develop those programs. Did your friend in the band also join the music therapy program? No, no. Uh, he was already out of college, um, and he he enjoyed doing that, you know, just as a, a, a way to interact with and entertain um, the children, but he didn't want to go back to school. Totally understandable. But that's yeah. awesome <laughs> that he was able to still provide that value in their lives. Sure. Great. So you recently released a book. Yes. Right? Tell us all about your book. Sure. Well, the book um, was a surprise to me, <laughs> if that's, that may sound odd. But I, as I said, I've been a lifelong singer-songwriter, and um, I knew I wanted to do another CD. Um, and I have been writing every day for the last few years um, to really prepare for when I would get to do another CD. And I had enough songs, uh, way more songs than I needed, um, and I was picking those songs. One of the songs that I 
um, wrote several years ago is called Superwoman Blues. And it's really kind of a tongue-in-cheek um, discussion <laughs> about all the things that women have to juggle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, many of us have careers and and we're, you know, on the board of the PTA or something like that. So it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek uh, um, look at the life of a daily superwoman. And so I thought I would put that on the album. Um, and uh, I'm also, I also belong to a songwriter group that's based in Nashville. We meet online. And the woman who runs that group is always giving us things to write about, sort of, you know, writing prompts and things like that to help us um, stay in the habit of writing. One of the prompts she gave us a couple of years ago was to start writing a book. And everybody in the group sort of freaked out and said, we don't know how to write a book. But she said, just write about what you know about. Write about your experiences. And so I started writing experiences of mine, and it really lined up very well with the song Superwoman Blues um, because I'm a mom. Um, I got my master's and my doctorate after I had children. Um, they were My kids were small when I did those things. Um, you know, I, I juggle a lot of things, and I think a lot of women do. And so, so I kept writing on the book, um, and I would put it in our online forum for this group that, that we meet with, and we would give each other feedback on what we were writing. And I got really good feedback from the other people in, in the group, and they said, you need to publish this. You really need to do it. Um, so last uh, semester, fall of 2019, I had a sabbatical. And I knew I was going to record a new CD, and um, the book was really coming together, and I felt like it was at a place where I could um, could actually publish it. So I went ahead and published the book as well. So the the CD is called Superwoman Blues, and the um, the book is called Who Moved My Cape: Letting Go of Your Superwoman Expectations. <laughs> and so I branded them together. Um, they have the same. Uh, cover art and that kind of thing and and really has that theme of um, just being an average everyday woman but you've got a cape in there somewhere yeah I'll make sure to link those for everyone and I love the art obviously the listeners can't see the art but you have the the image of the woman in the shadow is her cape which I think is so awesome because you're right it's there and you might not always see it but it's totally there with all the different hats we have to wear that's right yeah yeah. And it was fun when I was, um, I guess maybe it was last spring, I thought, you know, I'm just going to do a little experiment and and put something out on Facebook about um, asking women, what are the kinds of things, what are the internal messages that you have? Um, because the premise of the book is that women um, receive messages that we internalize as true over our lives, and they're not always true. Um Things like that, uh, you know, that we have to dress a certain way or look a certain way. Or if um, someone else is further ahead in their career than we are, then we need to try to mimic them. And um, so I reached out to my friends on Facebook and I said, what are some of those messages that you've received from culture, from society, from wherever that you would like to speak back against? And I had like within just a few hours, I had 180 women respond. Wow. 
and um, say everything like, okay, here's a message I'd like to debunk, you know, that we all have to dress modestly because it's our fault if a guy looks at us wrong. Um, and somebody else said, you know, I, I hear, I feel like I'm a fraud, you know, and I feel like everybody's going to find out. So they're very common kinds of things that we hear and internalize. And um, so I start each chapter with, there's a lie, and I name the lie, and then I say, here's the truth. And then it's just a short chapter about that. Um, that and it, it, it ties into my experiences, of course, because that's what I know. Um, and it ties into somewhat into my counseling background as, as well, um, some of the advice or exercises that I give in the book. Yeah. I'm just from personal experience, I'm thinking about how sometimes those lies or myths are brought to my attention per se, and they were always in my subconscious, excuse me, but I didn't even realize that they were there and that I was adhering to these things until someone pointed it out. And it's like, oh, you're totally right that XYZ is not the truth and not how I have to live my life and think about the world and whatever have you. Exactly. So what are some of the other common, I guess, lies that you heard or myths you heard that you Mm -hmm. address in the book? Yeah, I didn't include them all, but I'll just turn to my table of contents and tell you a couple of them. Um, So one of them is um, my dreams and passions are not that important. Ah. So that's a common thing I think uh, for moms especially is we tend to you know we're raising kids and we have to put a lot of focus on those kids and that's wonderful that's all well and good and and children need parents to encourage them and let them try different things Um, take them to sporting events and dance competitions and piano lessons and all those kinds of things but sometimes what happens is we tend to put our own dreams and passions on a back burner. And um, after doing that for 20 years or so, you know, sometimes it's hard to rekindle that or to say that that's still an important thing. Um, So the, the, the lie is my dreams and passions are not that important, but the truth is your dreams and passions are what make you who you are. And so it's important to tap into those. Um, as a songwriter, you know, I've never stopped writing songs, but I will say that all those years that I was raising my children, I didn't write as many songs. I didn't spend as much time. I didn't write every day. Um, and about five or six years ago, I started writing every day again, um, just to get rekindle that part of myself. Good for you. So you have the you branded the CD and the books together and you told us about Superwoman Blues. What other songs are on that album and did it which ones kind of the song inspired the essay in your book or vice versa? Tell us about that. Um well the other songs um I didn't pick all songs that have that same theme. Um I could have done that, but I really wanted to choose what I thought were my best songs to put on the CD uh, at the time. But still, there is some of that theme there. So there's a song called um, Only Every Minute, and it's about a woman being so busy. I don't have time to think about you all the time. I think about you only every minute. (laughs) So it's a little, again, a little kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. Um, And there's a song called Sweat. 
Um, and Sweat was a very last minute addition to the CD project. Um, I thought I had everything picked out to go on it. And then in, uh, so I recorded in October, but just a couple of weeks before I recorded, I wrote this song because I found this quote and quotes are a great place uh, to look for ideas. If you're a songwriter, um, it just sparks something, at least for me. And this quote said, um, luck is a dividend of sweat. And it just got me thinking, you know, that sometimes I think people are so lucky because they have X, Y, or Z, you know, they have money or they have fame or success of some kind. And it's really, it taps into your envy as a, as a human. And we're all envious if, you know, if we're really um, honest about it, at least sometimes during our lives. And so I wrote this song saying, maybe it's not luck, maybe it's sweat. Maybe those people really have put in the work. Um, and the twist in the song is, um, you know, maybe there's somebody looking at me and saying, oh gosh, she's so lucky. You know, I wish I could have what she has. And, but they haven't seen me sweat. They haven't seen what I've gone through to get where I, where I am. Um, so, you know, not every song that you write, or at least that I write, is autobiographical. Um, but there are pieces of the songwriter and the songwriter's experience in those songs, um, you know, whether we've observed it in ourselves or if it's something we're observing in other people. And then, you know, we write about it. So, yeah. How true. How true. And for that song specifically with the this day and age with social media and seeing the highlights and all the success stories, it is so true that you don't necessarily see the sweat that other people right. are putting in to achieve the things that their passions <laughs> that are right. no longer on the back burner, that they're working so hard to achieve. Yeah, exactly. So songwriting has always been a part of your life. And as a, as a music therapist, you also use it clinically. So tell us about your, your passion for songwriting. Okay, sure. Um, well, I don't know really where it came from. Um, but I remember writing from the time I was about 10 years old, um, just making up little songs. Uh, and I think a lot of kids do creative things that then maybe go by the wayside as they get older and because they think that they're not cool or they're things that they don't think anybody else does. Um, but I grew up on a farm and I remember uh, spending a lot of time outside and just making up songs about cows and clouds and, you know, whatever else was going on. Um, and so, um, yeah, I've been, I've been really writing since I was about 10 years old. Um, and I've been in bands and, you know, played some of those songs out live, made a CD back in the nineties, um, made another one about three years ago. And then, uh, just this current one. And it's such, it, I, it's sometimes it's a release, but it's also just, I think it's so important for people to tap into their creativity. I, I think that's one thing that I, I think we all have a creative need um, and people express it in different ways. So musicians sometimes express it by performing um, or by writing. Um, people express creativity through 
making up recipes, cooking, sewing, um, woodworking, you know, all kinds of things. And it's, it's a human need, I feel, for people to be creative. And I think, um, you know, I just want to keep tapping into that, into my own creativity um, in that way. I want to keep writing songs. Uh, so, yeah, that's my, that's my personal songwriting stuff. So every day I try to write at least for a little while, you know, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is. Um, last year I wrote 51 songs. I almost wow. had one a week. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, I mean, the professional songwriters write every day and they write a hundred songs a year, maybe, you know, so that's one of my professional, um, one of my personal goals is to, um, at some point have to be a professional songwriter. And by that, I don't mean that I would necessarily give up my day job. Although, you know, if that opportunity came, I might do that at some point. But to have that opportunity to just write better and better songs, um, perhaps songs that make it onto the radio uh, or make it, um, you know, onto different platforms for music. Um, yeah. So that's that's where I'm going with my personal songwriting. Beautiful. And what a beautiful aspiration. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to thank hearing you. you on the radio. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> thank you. So what is your process when you sit down to write every day? Um, it's different. Uh, I start every day by taking a walk and then doing a little bit of yoga. And a lot of times the ideas, lyrical ideas start coming or melodic ideas come while I'm walking. Um, there's something about moving the body that opens up your brain and your um your radar, your antennas, I guess. Um, at least that's what happens for me a lot of times. So then I might come back from my walk or finish my yoga. And then I have some ideas that I start writing down. Um, a lot of times I, I carry my phone on my walk because if it's a melodic idea, um, I might want to hum it into my voice memo so I don't lose it. Um, or the, an idea for a great hook, you know, then I, I put it on my, my iPhone so that it's there. Because we think that, that we will remember that 20 minutes later, and we might not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So let's transition to your clinical songwriting and how you incorporate that. Sure. Um, so in the clinical work that I've done, um, I've just found that songwriting is incredibly powerful with people. It's so personal. It's such a way that they can put their story, their desires into musical form. Um, and that it's one of the reasons why when you when we hear a song that we relate to on the radio and it touches us in some way so that it makes us cry or makes us feel like dancing or whatever it is, it's because there's something we really relate to in that song. And so that same kind of thing can happen in clinical songwriting. Um, and clinical songwriting can be a lot of different things. Of course, you know, the, the client can be very involved in that process, choosing lyrics, choosing melody. Um, you know, they might be able to play a musical instrument. So that may be part of what they do in the songwriting process. My experience, most of my experience has been that I'm the one creating the music and I try to give them choices, uh, about that music and that I'm taking their words and their story and putting it into 
um, basically an improvised song in the moment and then playing it back for them to see how they, how it resonates with them and changing it to, to go along with what they really need. It's different with different populations. You know, um, I think adolescents that I've worked with have lots of ideas and lots of energy and they like to write, it seems, uh, in a more active way sometimes than folks who might be a little bit older and might be more, um, they might question their ability to do that a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, how true. I find, I'll ask your advice on this, I find frequently that when I'm doing songwriting with a client, it's really, it can be really intimidating for them, especially those of them that have silenced their voice so much. Mm. And so starting small with, say, a lyric substitution and then maybe um, a combination of pulling lyrics from different songs and putting it to their own music or um, very simple prompts. And, but a lot of the times I'm thinking to myself, I really want to be able to go deeper. I really want them to get more out of this than just you know, surface level. So what advice do you have from your experience and from your counseling training for how to make this a less intimidating intervention in a session? Well, first of all, I think your approach is is brilliant to start with what's safe, you know, that to just do a lyric substitution of a word or a phrase or take phrases from existing songs or melodic phrases from existing songs and, and sort of put together a collage, uh, you know, it's, it's a very safe. And I think, um, from their standpoint, maybe from their perspective, it might feel safer than saying, Hey, we're writing a song from scratch and you have to make all the decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's a great way to start. Um, I did my dissertation actually on, um, uh, a, a program that I developed for teaching music therapists how to do clinical songwriting. And so I've done CMTEs at conferences over many years to help people because what I found was, and this has been maybe 20 years ago when I first started talking to people about this, I'd go to a music therapy conference, you've got all these music therapists, and I would want to talk about clinical songwriting. And so many people were saying, I don't do that because, and I would say, why? And they would say, I just don't feel like I'm a good enough musician that I know how to write a song that's great enough to be able to bring this to my clients. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's not about writing a great song. It's about helping the client express what they need to be able to express through the music. But the music therapist didn't that I was speaking to at that time didn't feel confident enough. So I created these CMTEs um, to try to help people improve their confidence on clinical songwriting. But you have to start with, with personal songwriting or with, like you said, lyric substitution, just little things. And then helping people to realize that as music therapists, we are trained musicians. We know what we need to know to be able to do this, but it's like any other muscle. You have to flex it and work it in order to feel confident with it. Um, so creating little melodic phrases and, um, memorable, um, melodic phrases so that when you sing the verse the second time around, you can remember how it goes, you know, um, things like that, I think are, um, are places to start. Yeah. Tell me more about what you go over in those CMTEs about what we can do. 
So one thing that we do is um, memory on the kinds of things that we know, uh, like melody and rhythm and all of those things. Um, and, you know, we also talk about, we also break down into small groups and actually do some songwriting during the session. Um, so I might give them a clinical scenario. You're working with a, a young um, boy who has, um, uh, who has developmental disabilities um, and you have 20 minutes with your small group to come up with uh, a song to help teach him the color blue. A song that, that reinforces that, you know. So that comes from a very a very strategic goal, um, and so there are different kinds of songs we can write in sessions. Um, Betsy Brunk has a great uh, Betsy King has a great book out from years ago called Songwriting for Music Therapists, and um, that has been a good resource for me uh, to talk about the different kinds of songs. There are you know, strategic songs that are we are writing to meet a specific goal, like color identification. Um, and then there are um, songs that we uh, do as a part of the process with clients, where there's a lot of give and take. And then there are songs that we write on the spot, those improvised songs. And it is sort of a, I look at it as a, as a spectrum, that when you are working with clients in the songwriting situation, you have some clients that you're only going to see one time, maybe in a hospital situation or something like that. Um, and you have some clients who may need a lot of structure because of their functioning ability. And those are when we might use those songs where you're just plugging in a word here or there. Um, and that spectrum goes all the way to the other end where you have clients who may be very high functioning or you may be able to see them for many sessions so you can go into the process of the songwriting more with those um, situations. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. And I'll make sure to link that book for anyone who wants to dig further yeah. into that. Awesome. I honestly wasn't even thinking of those kinds of songwriting when when you were talking earlier. I was thinking um, in more of a mental health setting. So to point out like, yeah, you can mm. write a song about identifying the color blue is like, oh, yeah, like that is something I could work with with a client to help them use their own associations to do whatever. Right. Yeah. That's such a simple idea yeah. that opened up so many doorways in my brain, my brain. Good, <laughs> good, good. Awesome. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Um, well, I guess if I can, I'd just like to tell about one client that I worked with for several years, um, who was struggling with anxiety and depression, um, a woman in her sixties. Um, and, uh, she had had all kinds of medication treatments. She had even had ECT to deal with the dep depression, which of course causes some short-term memory loss and things like that. Um, and songwriting was was only part of her uh, therapy, of course, of, um, but it was tremendous what it did for her. So our process together was she would come into a session, she would talk about what she was struggling with, and I would take little notes of you know the things she was talking about, and I and we would always try to focus on what would she like to achieve by the next session. So where would she like to go from here? What, what would look different next week as compared to this week? And 
then towards about halfway through the session, I would just put my guitar on my lap and start improvising and start pulling out some of these little phrases and words that she had said. Again, trying to remember what I'm doing melodically, trying to keep it simple so that I can repeat it and remember it. Um, and then I would get her reaction and she might say, oh, I love that first line. That second line, that's not exactly how I want. I don't really want that word in there or something like that. And, and we would work on the song together in that way. At the end of the session um, or towards the end, we would record it and put it on a cassette tape because that's what her technology was. Um, she had a cassette player at home. And so I would send it home with her and it would be her mantra for the week. Um, and she would decide what the title of the song was and we'd put the date on the, on the cassette. And then she would listen to that all week. Um, and then next week she would come back in and we would repeat the process. Um, we did that for, for four of the years that we, that we worked together. Um, and as time went on, she was getting better and better and our sessions got further and further apart. Um, but she saved all those all those cassettes. And she told me that she can remember her process of healing by going back and listening to those, those cassettes. Yeah. And what I'm just imagining what a beautiful indication for her of her own progress, because you don't necessarily see the change as it happens in four years. That's a long time. But to go back and listen Mm -hmm. to those first few CDs and see how far she's come. That's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that it was always her words and her choice. You know, I, I often felt like I was just like this vessel, like the songs were sort of coming through me to her, but it was using her words, um, and her experiences and what she needed to hear. It was a, you know, very often it was trying to put a message of hope, um, into her, um, experience. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That's an awesome experience and a great example of that. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add before we move into rapid fire questions? Rapid fire. Ooh. Um, Don't be intimidated. hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I I can't think of anything other than to just, um, I just want to thank you for inviting me to, to do this podcast. Um, I think what we do is amazing as music therapists. And, um, I hope that, that people are inspired by your different guests that come on and talk about different things and just, um, you know, that it will help them, like you said, open up your brain to something new, something maybe you hadn't thought about before. Thank you. That's totally my vision. So I'm glad that you you see that. Yeah. I actually I got an email this week from someone saying um, something to the effect of I was looking for which career path I was going to take and found the podcast and decided to enroll in a music therapy program. So hopefully. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Hopefully there's lots of other other people out there. I know not everyone's going to reach out to me, but uh, it's really nice to hear that. All right. And it's not me, it's the guests, because I'm just here providing. (laughs) But the guests are the ones who are doing all the inspiration. So thank you for making the time to be on the show today. You're very welcome. Thank you. All righty. So our first question, I should say, the questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. I just ask all the guests these questions to warm us up. 
coffee or tea? Coffee. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Does the coffee help with that? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but I am just, I've always been an early bird. I don't know why. Good for you. <laughs> Something you would tell your younger self. Oh, that's a beautiful question. So much. There's so much I would tell my <laughs> my younger <laughs> self. Um, I guess one of the things is just... Um, you're perfect just the way you are. I like that. Your music therapy elevator speech. <laughs> oh, we all have to have one. Mm -hmm. My music therapy elevator speech would be music therapy is a healing modality. Um, it's evidence-based. We use music to intentionally address therapeutic needs in people. I like that one. Thanks. Your favorite self-care practice? My favorite self-care practice? Hmm. I guess walking probably is my, is my favorite. That one I feel like is coming up more and more when I ask that question. Mm. Maybe as spring comes around, even more people will say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I would say a close second is songwriting, and a close third is coffee with chocolate. Yeah. Chocolate in the coffee or chocolate? No, aside? with, with. Like a chunk, <laughs> a chunk of dark chocolate with my black coffee. <laughs> I could see that, yeah, for sure. Something that is currently adding value to your life. that's currently adding value. Yeah. Um, uh, I take occasional trips to Nashville, Tennessee to write with friends and to see shows and be inspired. And that's adding a lot of value. Yeah. I had a, a family friend once say to me, you can't beat live music. And that just always sticks with me because I'm like, you're right. You know, whenever I'm feeling uninspired, it's so true that if I go and see some live music, it just, it re-energizes me. Yeah. And what's special for me about doing that in Nashville is so many of the venues that you can go to there are listening rooms. And that means you don't, don't make noise. You go to listen. It's not a loud environment. Um, you, the purpose is to, to spotlight the songs and the lyrics and the songwriters who, and so you're getting to hear the songs, which you may have heard on the radio, but you're now hearing them sung by the songwriter. And it's wonderful. I was just thinking about how cool something like that would be for those individuals who require um, a sensory environment that's more like that without yeah. clapping and noise and extra stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that'll spread to more parts of the country or maybe oh, it exists I, and I just don't know about it. <laughs> I think in different cities it does. But um, yeah, I've been thinking about it more too, about how I might encourage that in my own community. Um just because it's such a wonderful way to spotlight the the actual song instead of, I mean, concerts are great, but they are super loud and super crowded and, and all those kinds of things. And I just want to hear the songs and, and I'd love to hear them from the songwriter, even if they don't have a what we would call a great voice, they deliver it in a way that's um, that's unique and wonderful. Yeah. 
Well said. Yeah. Your favorite intervention or song to use in a session? Uh, my favorite intervention is clinical songwriting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And lastly, where can listeners find you and connect with you? They can connect with me through my website, which is tracyrichardsonmusic.com. And Tracy is T-R-A-C-Y. Um, Richardson, R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-O-N, music.com. And my email is Tracy Richardson Music. Uh, it's Tracy at tracyrichardsonmusic.com. Awesome. I will link those in the show notes as well as your book and the other resources. Oh, and the CD and the other resources yeah. you mentioned so that cool. the listeners can find them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And um, I feel really inspired to use some more songwriting interventions in my sessions this week. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Have a great rest of your Saturday. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. I hope after listening to that conversation, you are feeling inspired to use more songwriting in your sessions, as well as review and analyze some of the own myths, lies, or misconceptions that you have been told and internalized throughout your life and know that you have the power within you to decide if those things are actually true or not. I definitely think check out Tracy's book if you want essays on those kinds of things and like I said if to maybe see some of the ones you adhere to that you didn't even realize were in your subconscious all along. As promised here is a Facebook review. This one comes from Simone Reader. The podcasts are great and so useful for me all the way over here in Australia. So Simone thank you so much for listening to the podcast leaving us a review and um I guess that's another great segue to thank everyone who donated to our donation for the Australian Red Cross. I'm really appreciative to be able to make that kind of contribution and to have this platform where I can connect with so many of you, the listeners, the guests, and we can work together to make a difference. So that being said, the podcast isn't possible without our guests. So please send an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com if you want to be on the show or if there's someone you want me to reach out to to have on the show. I started this podcast with the vision that everyone has something to share and we can all learn from each other. So whether you are a student, a seasoned professional, an intern, if you're doing a research project, if you're doing a review of something, if you just had a really influential clinical experience that you want to share and expand on, anything like that, the podcast is a great place for you to share that. So please reach out. Find us on social media. We are Music Therapy Chronicles on all the platforms. Join our group on Facebook and leave us a review on iTunes because, again, those help the podcast uh, be more easily seen and found by people looking for music therapy content. And there are so many more 
music and music therapy related podcasts popping up in the universe. So thank you so much to all you other podcasters out there. It's great to see that more people are sharing their thoughts, their stories, and creating more of this type of content for all of us to get inspired from. Thank you again so much for tuning into this week's episode, and I will see you in the next one. Mm-hmm.